I was playing soul coughing and the guy that I was with was probably the first date I had ever been on who said, you like soul coughing? And I said, yeah. And he said, I love them too. And that date became my husband six years later and 18 years later, we're still listening to soul coughing. I'm Nick Harcourt. Today on The Sound of Success, we have something of a bigwig, I think, from the upper echelons of the music and tech world, Sunita Kaur, currently the Senior Vice President of APAC at the live streaming Twitch. And prior to that, Sunita was VP of Revenue for Spotify's APAC market. And prior to that, she was the Director of Asia for a little company called Facebook. Sunita, welcome to The Sound of Success. So great to meet you. Lovely to meet you as well, Nick. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, our absolute pleasure. For listeners at home who might not be familiar with Twitch, how does it differ from competitors like Facebook and YouTube, which also allow live streaming? And how has Twitch seen its business change, shift, evolve during the last year and a half? Such a great hot topic right now. I've pretty much spent my entire career driving my parents crazy trying to explain what I do for a living. <laughs> um, you know, from the early days of Facebook and Spotify to now Twitch. So every job that I've moved into has always been, what on earth is that? But, you know, as I look back on just literally the evolution of, of entertainment, just in the last past 10 years, it really has been extraordinary. So yeah. when I joined Twitch at the beginning of 2020, um, you know, my parents asked me, so what, what is Twitch? Um, I basically told them, I said, imagine a world where you could talk to your telly and it could talk back to you. What Twitch really is, you know, it's live, it's interactive streaming with really content that spans, you know, gaming, sports, entertainment, music. Uh, and so much more. I think it's just the beginning of the future of entertainment. We live in a world where, you know, live stream interactive uh, personality and content-based uh, communities really are driving entertainment. And, you know, we've been thinking about it as entertainment has become far more active than passive. We're moving into a time where you know, people are really leaning into and wanting to engage with their content as opposed to just watching something. So with Twitch, you've got a service that has sort of two sides. You've got your content providers that we call streamers, you know, and you have your viewers. So the breadth and the depth of the audience is truly unparalleled. It's, you know, most people already watch uh, Twitch or spend more than two hours um, on Twitch every single day. Mm. So, you know, the core behaviors that we've seen in Twitch historically have shown, you know, that new users come to Twitch, they find their community, they find their creator, and they really do form lasting bonds with um, a lot of the uh, creators that they, that they meet and then spend years and years with. And so that's sort of elevator pitch for, for what Twitch is, really sort of live streaming and very interactive. And then, right. We were a tech company, so we're all about the data. And in 2020, and I think this really leads into the world that we're living in now with the, with the pandemic, you know, we saw that we have over 7 million unique creators streaming each month. 
and last year over 1 trillion minutes watched. So there's a lot of content and a lot of people producing content, a lot of people watching content. But I think it's still hard to distill the, the massive opportunity on Twitch into sort of one piece of advice. But in short, what we've seen, and not surprisingly, is people are really very multifaceted. Twitch has long been known to have its roots in gaming, and gaming has been our mainstream. It's really what we're embedded in. But we're seeing so much growth and variety come out of, uh, of our current streamers. We, um, just out here in the Asia-Pacific region, we've got over 1.4 billion people who actually identify themselves as gamers. And that is, that's about 62% of their online population. So you've got a very large number of people who really are engaged and interested. And so what we've seen over the last few years is, again, going back to the fact that we're, you know, very embedded in gaming, our gaming streamers have started to do so much more and started to produce other forms of entertainment. And I think one of our favorite examples is out of New Zealand, there was a streamer called Brox, and he was um, a World of Warcraft gamer. But he was also an incredible wood carver. And so what he started to do was develop sort of streams around wood carving. He got so big, so popular, that during the um, election trail for the New Zealand Prime Minister last year, Jacinda Ardern actually dropped into his stream to learn how to wood carve. So, you know, again, it's all wow. those beautiful little moments that yeah, we're yeah, seeing yeah. coming out, which makes us so excited. That That's amazing. You talk about gaming, obviously, which uh, has driven Twitch to this point, clearly. But you said that there are other things starting to to evolve on the platform as well. And music is, uh, is what we're going to be talking about in, in a little while. And I know that you came to Twitch from Spotify. And you said at the time that the, the platform is going to be more focused on music in the future. So what does that look like so far? Or how might it look in, in the future for musicians on your platform? How are you working within the APAC music industry? Definitely music is A, where, where my heart is. And even when I was kind of starting to join Twitch, that was truly an exciting part of Twitch. So we're really working at building a new world of live music experiences. You know, we've got lots of prominent partnership, live stream events, spontaneous performances. And so Twitch is sort of reimagining how people experience live music and we really enable creators to build their own you know virtual venue if anything for live performances fans are transported into this concert atmosphere from their homes with the ability to interact with artists and other fans in in ways that are only possible um, on twitch so just you know in, in our short but growing music journey you know, we've been a home for artists of really all sizes who want to build their fan base, interact with their fans. Even before social distancing with this crazy world that we live in began, we had a growing music scene on Twitch. We've got, um, and I think for, you know, a lot of us sort of average Joes, 
seeing how artists actually get inspired and, and build their albums and write their songs was a lens that a lot of us you know, never had uh, the joy of, of really looking through. So that's been really a bit of a standout on Twitch. And then of course, you know, during COVID, we saw a real influx uh, in music too. Live streams, album releases, full concerts with special guests, and that's just sort of really sort of growing and growing. The Stray Kids, a huge K-pop band, which just sent our chat into overdrive. So it's, just, it's so much fun and interesting just to, to put the tool in the hands of musicians and see what they do with it. You've led me into my next question. You talk about K-pop, which is clearly a huge part of the uh, APAC music industry. And for those who don't know, when we talk about APAC, we're, we're talking about the Western Pacific Ocean, Asia Pacific, which uh, includes East Asia, Southeast Asia, South Asia, Australia, where I lived for a few years, uh, many moons ago, and Oceania. You mentioned New Zealand as well. But K-pop has just become such a huge part of not just the music industry in your part of the world. It's an incredible force in pop music right now, period. What do you think that the rest of the entertainment industry, let's say, can learn from its popularity as we're beginning to move forward and engage with new technologies? When you think about K-pop, especially for the entire music business and how it is just in the audio and the visual world, that to me is really what is so engaging about it. Um, music is really more than just music, right? It's about, you know, it's about connection. We all talk about how you know, we're connected to different moments through a song. And that is really true for the, for the K-pop uh, community where you know, every popular artist has such a powerful group of fans supporting them in, in everything they do and that feeling of coming together is what the music and K-pop and then we move on into these um, the, the music videos in K-pop how beautifully visually stimulating they are and I think that's really what has transcended uh, languages and uh, we've seen Korean music producers uh, really becoming experts at manufacturing incredibly successful products and for us what we've seen being our biggest differentiators have been our community tools. So the power of K-pop on Twitch really stood out. And I mentioned, you know, when we ran um, Stream Aid in March of, of last year, uh, you know, we managed to get stray kids um, to participate in our 12-hour stream. And, you know, just to help you visualize this, if you're watching streaming on Twitch, you've got, you have a chat box where you can, you can ask questions, you can chat, you can you know, give shout outs. And the, the second they went on, the chat was going so fast, you could not read it. And this was global. And for me, that was a bit of like a goosebump moment um, where it just, no boundaries, no borders. Just everybody just loved love them and it's power of k You started off at the beginning of our conversation talking about how things had shifted so drastically in the music business and obviously the tech business in the last 10 years. I had the good fortune to go to China 
summer of 2010, I was there for a conference in Shanghai, visited Beijing briefly and came through Korea. And I was very aware of the beginnings of K-pop at that time. And I have to be quite frank with you. I didn't see how it could translate to America. What do you think it is about K-pop that has taken the charts here by storm in the last, what, five, seven years? Let's take K-pop back to when Gangnam Style took over the world. It was that catchy um, tune. It was the music. Um, it didn't matter that it was in Korean. And then the moves, they're all amazing performers and dancers. Um, I remember having these conversations at, at Spotify for a lot of our Asian um, artists. The move from singing in your local language to singing in English. And so that I truly believe has also helped to push our Asian um, or any local language artists across to English speaking or English listening markets. So we have uh, Sai, who's who's uh, responsible for, for, for this <laughs> export at, at the end of the day, right? Let, let me ask you, before we jump into talking about your favorite music, I, I know that you, we mentioned you worked at Facebook and, and, and Spotify. How have you seen the tech industry change in the last decade for women? What's improved? What still needs to be done? And is it different where you are than Europe or the United States? Can you talk about that a little bit? My journey uh, as a female, as you know, and maybe an Asian female, has been interesting and not without its challenges. I've been working for 25 years, and you know when I started in the mid 90s, it was challenging. As a result of that, you know, I've always tried to have a strong voice and I've sat on women's leadership teams to empower women throughout the last four companies that I've been at, which include Facebook, Microsoft, Spotify, and Twitch. I have been very pleased to see how things have evolved since I've joined the workforce, but as with everything in life, things could get better. Uh, you know, women in tech is still a conversation that is being had a lot. It makes me a little sad that we're still having that conversation, but I'm, I'm confident that we can continue to sort of push this through where it doesn't become. And, you know, we are seeing more women interested in and moving into STEM roles. It's growing. Unfortunately, the, the wage gap still persists, but mm. it's narrowing. Um, and I just think, you know, we're all still trying hard to level the playing field. But one question is that I know I, did, I definitely ask myself is, you know, do we need to approach this from a woman's point of view or a man's point of view or just, you know, being a good human being's just point, a of human view? point of view? Yeah, yeah I have to say, and this was, I'm very proud of the fact that I was there to see this happen, that one of the most impactful things I saw happen was actually at Spotify. And it's that, you know, we need to address the, 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 gen, the uh, gender gap. And they approached it through parental leave. And by that, they announced six months fully paid maternity leave. Mm -hmm. And in the same breath, six months 
fully paid paternity. So all of a sudden, didn't matter if you were a mom or a dad, you had a child, you got equal paid paternity. And that was so powerful. All the way down to, I remember having chats with you know, gentlemen on my team who had just had a child just saying, I can't take six months off. Like, will my job even be here when I get back? And I'm just like, ah, welcome to our world. Yeah. I was going to say, that's just such a completely different way of doing business from 10, 20 years ago, where it was difficult for women to get the paid leave, let alone guys. So Spotify, I, I guess, coming out of Sweden originally, maybe uh, yes. they, they, they look at things a little bit differently in, in the Nordic countries, but it's nice to see that they spread it internationally. If you're just joining us, I'm Nick Harcourt. It's the sound of success. And our guest this week is Sunita Kaur, who is the Senior Vice President of the APAC at Twitch. And now I want to talk a little bit about your music. Thanks for setting it up for us and, and telling us about your job, obviously, and what's going on in your world. Where did you actually grow up? I grew up in a little island in Southeast Asia called Singapore. Right. So you grew up where, where you live right now. Let's talk about your childhood, maybe, and your first musical memory. What's the first thing that you remember about music, whether it was on the radio or maybe you heard music in the house? What, what's your first musical memory? I think I was really lucky. My parents loved music and their, their tastes were so different. You know, dad was um, a huge country fan. My grandparents came over to Singapore and Malaysia in the 40s and 50s and then they grew up in Singapore. And so Singapore has always had quite interesting music taste as a nation because they were pretty much in, in the 80s for, for quite a long time. <laughs> we kind of still are. If you take, you're in a taxi in Singapore, all the radios still play 80s music. It's, it's amazing. But my parents loved music and their, their tastes were, were very different. And my dad was a huge country fan. So from him, you know, it was Kenny Rogers, Glenn Campbell. I think till today, I can sing any Kenny Rogers song. Wow, um, impressive. But... I might ask you to do it before we finish. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, but mom loved, you know, Queen and, you know, David Bowie and Jackson 5. And even going, you know, back to my grandparents, I remember nights at my grandparents' house, you know, when I was like four or five and, and every, everything, every night ended with like dance parties. And this was like in the mid to late seventies. And my mom likes to tell the story, uh, that the first song I learned was Abba's Thank You for the Music. Um, and I could sort of sing that end to end. So it's, it's, I think <laughs> right. if anything, that was probably my first you know, really young music moment. But, oh gosh, I remember just coming home from school and sitting by the radio with my cassette and taping songs, where you just had to be really rather dexterous, just trying to get it right, making your own mixtapes. I still love, and I miss mixtapes. It sounds like a very diverse grounding from, as you said, country music to, to the glam, I guess, of, of Bowie and Queen and people like that. What's the first music you bought with your own money? This was funny because I was trying to remember when I actually had my own money. And when you first I, had your own money. When I first had my own money. It would have been in my, in my mid-teens. 
and saving all of our pocket money where everyone was not just listening to, but dressing like Madonna. That would, that would have been my first, my first music that I ever bought. And, and do, you, do you remember what the song was or the album? And do you still have the clothes? I'm waiting for it to come back. It <laughs> will come know. back. <laughs> what about live music, concerts? What's your first concert? Again, living in Singapore, we waited a long time before we had any live music. I do remember the first concert I ever went to. And my parents bought us tickets because my brother was in love with her. Um, and me and my little brother had great seats uh, watching Paula Abdul. That must have been quite the show. <laughs> it was. It was. It was fantastic. And it was just a great memory. And I'm so glad like I got to, I got to go with my baby brother. What do you listen to when you want to dance? I'm a 70s and 80s baby. So for me, it's 80s Britpop. I would also kind of use the word dance quite loosely. I think my dancing mostly compromises of jumping up and down while sort of screaming out lyrics uh, to the song. But it's just, yeah, I mean, you know, 80s Britpop for me is the be all and end all and I'll never let it go. And I was at Spotify for almost seven years. Mm. And I remember the one and only time I pulled every string that I had to see someone live was when four years ago, Duran Duran played at the Formula One. Mm -hmm. I grew up with Duran Duran and I had their posters all over my room. And so managed to not only see them, but managed to get backstage in the green room. And the last thing I remember was John Taylor saying, hi, I'm John. And then that was it. And then you don't so, remember anything else. Your brain don't just remember anything. My brain just melted. Melted into rice pudding or something. Yes. For people who listen to this little podcast, they'll know that I'm a Duran Duran fan growing up in Birmingham, which is where the band came from originally. What about if you're feeling sad or a little melancholy? What do you put on them? I think for, for me and just, you know, my, I would listen to, to music sort of connected with sort of great memories to pull me out of my funk mm. um, instead of like sinking even further into right. it's something that's <laughs> going to make you sit in a tepid bath and want to yeah go on <laughs> I was just going to say make me run a hot bath so I mean I think for me it's things it's great memories right so you know I got married um, to the Beach Boys uh, so that always works because it's a fabulous week right. um, you know Pink Floyd reminds me of just an amazing year I spent in Thailand and man, for me, the, the ultimate, the ultimate song is, is Journeys Don't Stop Believing. There's something about that song that just puts me in a great mood. I, I got to be honest with you, Sunita. I, I, I think that you're the first person in some 20 episodes of this who has not dug into some kind of deep, depressing music <laughs> to accompany their depression. You've actually said, I, I listen to things that get me out of that place. Oh, oh, that's good to know. That's great. I, I, I like it. You've just given me a new idea. Instead of putting, you know, Damien Rice on or something, I'll try, <laughs> try Journey. Uh, try we Journey. About, yeah, we talked about um, Duran Duran, and of course, they're very famous for their uh, music videos. Do you have a favorite music video? I do remember 
when I was nine years old. School finished at 3 p.m. and I pegged it because Michael Jackson's thriller video was going to debut. Um, and it was just one of those things where you remember where you were and what you were doing when Thriller came out. Groundbreaking. It's an iconic moment. In, in so many ways. I was living in Australia when that came out, actually. And Australians definitely are, are, are Michael Jackson fans, there's no doubt about it. And ABBA fans, by the way. So how do you discover music yourself today? And do you have a, a recent musical discovery that you'd like to share with our audience? I don't know whether it's something that happens as you get older, where you, you don't look too much to discover new music. You start to hang on to the music that you love. Yeah, so, there's, there's you know, no doubt that a lot of people sort of top out around age 30. Yeah. And then, so I just, I listen to a lot of music that I know. And I think my discovery is slightly different where I've almost now rediscovering music. And lots of our, our dinner parties are, after we're done with, with dinner, sit around and talk about music. Everybody takes turns on Spotify and, and plays. And, and it actually got to such a stage that my husband invented a game called Muso, which is now like a card game, which, you know, <laughs> is play everything. It's like 72 categories from like, play your favorite song from the 80s, play a song that reminds you, know, reminds you of your brother, play a song that you would play at your funeral. Just stuff like that, which is just a lot of fun. And so I'm actually rediscovering a lot of music that I had, you know, forgotten about. And it's just this week, we started listening to Soul Coughing. And I don't know whether you've ever heard of Soul Coughing, but yep. they, were, they were an extraordinary outfit in, in the 90s. And... I must have listened to Ruby Vroom over 10,000 times. And again, back in like the early 2000s, I was on my third date, I was playing Soul Coughing in the house. And you know, the guy that I was with was probably the first date I had ever been on who said, do you like Soul Coughing? And I said, yeah. And he said, I love them too. And that day became my husband six years later and 18 years later, we're still listening to Soul Coughing. So yeah, it's the rediscovering of music that we forgot about. That's amazing because I, I think that one of the benefits for everybody, but in particular younger music fans, is that through streaming services now, they have access to pretty much everything. And so for you, you're talking about Soul Coughing as being a band that you listened to in the 90s and still do now, but for some 16 year old kid, living in you know, Philadelphia or Birmingham or in Singapore, they can discover that band or the Dead Kennedys or Pink Floyd or anything that's been around in 50, 60 years worth of uh, music. And I'll, I'll tell you a, a very quickly, Soul Coughing. I'm not sure that what the song is called. I'm not sure if it's Super Bon Bon, but the one where they start off and they're saying it's 6 a.m. and you're listening to Los Angeles and they're talking about Reseda. When that came out, I was living in Woodstock, New York, and I was doing uh, alternative radio then. I now live just up the road from Reseda. 
And I often think about that song when I'm driving down the, the, the 101, the, the, the freeway here, past Reseda, and I'm like, God damn it. I remember listening to that song 25 years ago. And now I live here just next door. It's pretty funny. Power that is music. so cool. Oh, yeah. The power of music. <laughs> exactly. So do you have a band or an artist that you love but feel like they never quite got the big break that they deserved? Well, honestly, I think for me, it would be Soul Coffee. I was truly obsessed with them and in, in the 90s. And, and I think it was also like sort of very early sort of American indie or just indie music overall. So for me, it was like bands like Soul Coughing. Do you have a guilty pleasure? Is there, I'm talking about music. Is there an <laughs> artist, is there an artist or a band that perhaps you don't tell everybody that you like, but you're going to tell us right now? Okay, firstly, I, I, I own all of my guilty pleasures. I'm, I'm not ashamed of them. But I, I have to say, my ultimate guilty pleasure song, because this will get me on the dance floor. And to be fair, I have seen this song get the coolest people out of their seats. It's Carly Rae Jackson's Call Me Maybe. Fair enough. What, what is it about that song? I mean, you say it gets people going. I mean, is, is that pretty much it? It just gets you going? Yeah, it's just poppy and it's fun. What do you think as we're looking perhaps yeah, maybe next year sometime, maybe in the spring next year, we may be through the worst of this pandemic. Clearly right now, everything is up in the air again with the Delta variant and perhaps some other things that we don't even know about. But as we look forward to the time when we are able to go to shows and not have to stand six feet away from people, when we are able to travel again, what, what are you looking forward to, at least in the music world? Are you looking forward to going out and seeing music? going to festivals what are you looking forward to i can't wait to go back to a live gig regardless of whether it's a small 80 person venue or a 5000 person venue just being just, out and about just being out and about and listening to live music before you go i've got two more questions one of them ties into what we were saying and it's not on the the, the usual questionnaire but I'm thinking about where you live, uh, the part of the world that you, you live in, and obviously the challenges of traveling to go see live music. Because as you mentioned, Singapore, you don't necessarily get all the bands that you want to see coming through. What are the challenges for somebody who lives where you do to be able to go and, and, and see live music or festivals outside of Singapore? Is, is it easy or was it easy before the pandemic to, to hop on a plane and go see a festival somewhere else? I think it was easy in terms of, of you have choices, but you know, living in Singapore, if you had a live act coming through a coming through our region, it was expense, right? Because not only did you have to pay for the ticket, um, you had to pay for your flight, you had to pay for your hotel. You know, I remember you too playing in Australia. Um, before they even played in, in, in Singapore, people have to fly around to catch the, um, uh, the music that they, that they love. Um, mm. And so it's been, expense is the, the, the biggest ticket item, I think, too. And that kind really of brings good, us yeah. back around to what you do now, obviously, because you're at a company that is bringing music into people's homes. 
Absolutely. And so it's just finding ways of bringing everybody closer together and just building those connections, right? So now if you know, want to watch um, BTS uh, instead of you know, flying to Seoul to have to watch them, which most people would still do, you had the option of watching them um, on Twitch live, maybe even being able to chat with them. And so it just brings that entire music experience round to the other side where you feel even more connected to the artists that you love. We started off this conversation about 45 minutes ago and we're gonna wrap it up right now. I think 10, 15 in the morning where you are. And as your day is, well, it's already started, obviously. How are you feeling right now? How are you feeling about your day today? I'm good. I'm good. I have a, I have a great day planned, actually, coincidentally. Um, after this, I've got sort of one more work call, and then I'm off to meet uh, three friends uh, who were at Spotify. That's where we all met, and we formed a great friendship, and and now everybody works at either Apple or Google, but we remain good friends. So I'm off to, off to have a nice leisurely Friday lunch with them. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for taking a part uh, of your day and uh, talking to us a little bit about Twitch, but also about the music that you love and the music that has influenced you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Nick. Thanks for listening. The Sound of Success is produced by Elizabeth Thompson with myself, Nick Harcourt, for Spark Network. Our theme music is by Keita Klein. For more episodes, find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and at sparknetwork.com.